Mind by nature is radiant and pure, the Buddha said. It is shining. It is because of visiting forces known as defilements that we suffer. It is because of visiting forces known as defilements that we suffer. Do you believe that? <laughs> I mean, the Buddha said it, and we have every reason to believe it. But think about it. If we believe that all the suffering that we experience today and previously in our life is due to these visiting forces that come to the mind, if we believe that, if we could believe that, we would want to know, okay, what are these defilements? Right? How bad can they be? Right? <laughs> what have I got to do to work with them things? Right? And, and what's the benefit of working with them anyway? Right? Well, let's, for the evening, just believe that what the Buddha said is true. Sayadaw Utejaniya says, one of our teachers from Burma says, it is not you who removes the defilements. Wisdom does that job. Wisdom inclines towards the good, but is not attached to it. It shies away from what is not good, but has no aversion to it. Wisdom recognizes the difference between skillful and unskillful, and clearly sees the undesirability of the unskillful. The Buddha recognized that defilements appear in the mind. They visit the mind. And in his articulation of what he realized to be the truth in the fourth noble truth, he offered a path of practice to overcome and eventually uproot the defilements in order to free the mind from suffering, all forms of dukkha. And in that Eightfold Noble Path, he offers three trainings. There is the training of sila, or the precepts as we're practicing them here, that purify the speech and our behavior of transgressive defilements. Transgressive defilements are those behaviors and actions that hurt others. They transgress against others. And we do that by speaking and acting under the influence of a defiled mind. So if we exercise the restraint of right speech, right action, as proscribed by the precepts, we will arrest those transgressive defilements. But even though we're not acting them out, or speaking them, we may be thinking them obsessively. <laughs> so the Buddha, in his infinite wisdom, offered us a second training in the Noble Eightfold Path. And the second training is a training in samadhi, or what we call concentration. It is a training of the development of mindfulness in order to temporarily purify the mind of these 
obsessive defilements. If we establish a continuity of mindfulness, there is no opportunity for the defilements to obsess the mind. And when the mind is temporarily pure of the defilements, we get to enjoy the happiness of an untormented mind. <laughs> However, conditions change. And we never know what is going to arise in our life, what conditions are going to unfold. And we're not always sure that we are going to be mindful. And so the Buddha offered a third training in the Noble Eightfold Path, a more refined training and a more powerful training in Vipassana, which is the practice that purifies our understanding. And when the understanding is purified of the defilements, the latent, hidden, potential defilements, they no longer can take root. And when the mind is pure, when the understanding is free of defilements, no conditions, no matter how oppressive or how dramatic or how painful they might be, or how destabilizing they might be, do not have the power to change your understanding, which remains free from defilements. This is the Buddha's prescription. It's the Buddha's path for freeing our speech and behavior from transgressive defilements, from freeing the mind from obsessive defilements, and for freeing or purifying our understanding of latent defilements. As we practice the mindfulness that we're doing here. Gradually we undertake these three purification trainings and in time the defilements are arrested and eventually uprooted, bringing the possibility of unshakable peace into our heart. Okay, so let's look at what these defilements are. What are we going to be working with here? Greed in the form of attachment, clinging, yearning, wanting, longing, liking, enjoying, indulging. Seen any of that today? <laughs> Aversion in the form of irritation, impatience, frustration, disappointment, despair, depression, anger, fear. Seen any of that today? And delusion. The big three, greed, hatred, and delusion. Delusion in the form of confusion, doubt, restlessness, wandering mind without knowing it. Plenty of that today. We got our work cut out for us. The work appears sometime to be so, well, pervasive and oppressive and overwhelming. Partly because, in general, 
the defilements are so thick and so quick and arise so frequently in our mind that we believe them. We've gotten used to them. We take them for granted. We tolerate them. In fact, they've become our personality. We identify with them as me and who I am. I am an impatient person. I'm an angry person. Or we identify others by their defilement. You're an, imp- you're an angry person. You're greedy. And we feel perfectly uh, truthful in saying that. Or we appropriate them as mine. It's my fear. It's my shame. It's my vulnerability. It's my impatience. It's my anger. They're just visitors, remember. They, they just come due to conditions that got nothing to do with you. But if we don't see them, we get entangled, we get caught. And we think they're mine or who I am. And when they arise, they prevent our living life fully. Fear arises in the mind. What don't you even attempt because of fear? What don't you undertake because of aversion? You don't like it. It's too difficult. And when we cut off all these avenues of human experience, we live a very proscribed, narrow life. We cannot live life fully because of the defilements and our identification with them. They are a great hindrance in our practice of awareness and meditation, development of the mind. And because of that, they hide the possibility of true peace in our heart. However, we should remember the defilements in any of their form are also a part of the Dharma. The Dharma is, well, the way things are. And so the defilements are also part of, well, the way it is. They are a natural phenomena that arise due to causes and conditions. When the causes and conditions come together, unavoidably, the defilement will arise. If the causes and conditions never come together, the defilements don't arise. One ingredient that is necessary for every arising of the defilements, unwise attention. If we can arouse and establish wise attention in our heart, in our mind, the defilements cannot arise. These are the defilements. So, how bad can they be? Well, we don't have to look very far to see. 
when unwholesome states of mind arise in the mind and we speak carelessly, we cause harm. Immediately upon speaking or acting carelessly and causing harm, we feel regret, we feel remorse, we feel ashamed, we feel embarrassed, we feel self-conscious, we feel guilty. That's quite a lot of suffering right there. And that's what we get every time we remember it. Not just when we do it. Every time we remember it. Even if it's 20 years later, 30 years later, we still feel that twinge of like, oh, not so skillful. That's a lot of suffering. When we feel these unwholesome states of mind, they condition unpleasant feelings in the body. When we get angry, the jaw clenches, the shoulders tighten, the fists clench, the abdomen rigidifies, and we just lock up. A lifetime of that is painful. Some of you may discover when in practice, by wise attention, we uncover memory of or reactions of anger, it often comes with the same contracted, painful body as when it was acted out. And try as we might, we can't let go. We can be aware that there's anger arising in the mind. But sometimes it is so obsessive and so deep and so thick. We'd like to say anger, just chill. Good luck. It doesn't. So it takes training, it takes practice to learn how to work with these defilements. When the defilements arise, when any of the defilements arise, they can do two things. One is, some defilements obscure the object, meaning we don't, we don't even know what's going on. And we've all experienced this today when trying to be mindful, the mind wanders off into some train of thought. And while we are lost in that train of thought, we don't know when we got on, we don't know what is going on, we don't know how we feel about it, we don't know when it's going to get off, we don't know when it's going to stop. We don't know anything. We don't know that we're in Barry. We don't know we're sitting. We don't know anything. We're completely oblivious. That's how powerful restlessness is when it appears in the mind unseen. It steals your life. You don't have one. However, as soon as that train of thought comes to an end, thankfully, somehow, whew, hate to stay on that train for a lifetime, it comes to an end, sometimes we can immediately reconstruct the whole train of thought without even thinking about it. We just know, whew, that's where I was. So there's some part of the mind that's knowing that this is going on, but we're not aware of it. Now that's interesting to think about. Sometimes, though, 
the defilements obscure the nature of the object. Sometimes we don't even see, like restless mind, wandering mind. Sometimes, though, we see, but we don't understand correctly. We understand wrongly. So we see the object. When you see an object of desire, you know, when the mind is filled with attachment, lust, desire, you look at someone and you say, you're looking pretty good, whether it's a brownie or a person. Ice cream, take your pick, whatever, whatever is your flavor. Okay, you just take a look and you say, okay, that's going to be, that's good for me. Later, when attachment, lust, and desire has not arisen in the mind, we look at that thing and say, that thing is just loaded with calories. That is loaded with cholesterol. That is just loaded with sugar and dairy and gluten and everything that's, well, not liberated yet. When, when attachment arises in the mind, it causes the mind to see only the pleasant aspect of what it's looking at. You can't see anything wrong with the object that you're attached to. That's delusion. When aversion arises in the mind, it causes you to notice only the unpleasant aspect of what you're looking at. So you fall in love. A lot of attachment there. You fall in love, you look at that person, you go, wow, perfect. Finally found you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then the attachment leaves the mind because the full moon goes down and the new moon comes up. And you look at that person, you say, you've changed. What's wrong with you? And And we have impatience and aversion and irritation. And we think the person has changed. Same person. Our mind has changed. And because we don't see the filter of aversion or the filter of attachment, we actually think the object is how we see it. It's not. All we're seeing out there is our own mind. This is how dangerous the defilements are. They steal our life. They confuse us. They bewilder us. They make us believe things wrongly. There is a gradient of defilements in the mind, as I've mentioned. And when they are you know, transgressive, when we're really inflamed with anger and we're just raging towards someone, speaking, acting, grimacing, whatever it is you're doing, however it is you're expressing it, it is conditioning intense unpleasantness in the body. No knowledge, no awareness, no wisdom, no letting go, just suffering. Actually, we don't even know at that time that this state of mind is dangerous, that it's causing us the suffering. We're so self-righteously and indignant and inflamed and angry that we believe 
were right to express it, to act it out. We don't give any second thoughts to it. We don't have any doubt about it. We put a lot of energy into it, and we feel right about it. This magnifies the harm you do to yourself manyfold. If we at least know that this is a defiled state of mind, and we exercise some restraint, at least we're, we're dampening it down a little bit. But when we don't know, and we just act out, we suffer. When the mind is filled with obsessive defilement, we may not be speaking it, and we may not be acting it, but we're thinking it, or it's thinking us, and we're just steaming inside with you know, anger, irritation, impatience, pride, jealousy, fear, whatever, take your, take your pick. Any of them can get a grip on the mind and drag the mind around. And even though we are aware of it, we can't stop it. The habit of the mind is so strong, and the identification with wrong view is so strong, even if we want to, and we know we're suffering, we know we're suffering with this jealousy or this envy. We'd love to let it go. Can't. You know, there's a huge difference between being afraid, thinking about fear and what you're afraid of, and being aware of fear. So too with any defilement, there's a huge difference between acting it out, thinking it only, or being aware of it. In every case, it has to be there. You can't be aware of the defilement if it's not there. We're not imagining this. But when it's there, we can step back and see, oh, anger has arisen, fear has arisen, jealousy has arisen. And not be entangled in it, thinking about it, and not be acting it out blindly. This is the direction of practice. So how do we work with these defilements? First, we need to hear, we need to know, we need to understand in some initial way that these defilements are X, Y, Z, and I've mentioned a dozen or more of them now, and that they're harmful. Growing up, you know, our parents might have, you know, kind of identified a few of the baddies, you know, don't get angry, don't be so impatient, you know, share, you know. But there's a lot more subtlety than that to the states of mind that cause suffering. And so we need to hear about these defilements, have them identified, know the varieties, and to begin to acknowledge how much pain, how much suffering they cause us. While we can read about them, you can hear about them in a talk like this. It is, ex well, it's another step altogether to recognize them in your own experience. As I mentioned, they have arisen so often and we're so used to them that we take them for granted and we, well, 
we don't even see them anymore, a lot of them. We don't even see them. We act them out willy-nilly, not knowing that we're being aggressive, we're being, you know, demeaning, we're being whatever. So the first step in working with them is to recognize them. To just recognize. When you find yourself struggling, suffering, upset, whatever, just ask yourself, what, what is this state of mind? What is this defilement? And then try to put a word to it. Try to really feel it and, and get a grip on, or to be able to name and to acknowledge what it is. It's difficult to have this perception because, as I've said, the habit and the delusion of the habit is so strong. We don't see it. The second step in working with any of the defilements after we recognize them and they are flourishing in our mind is to relax. If we attack the defilement, with the motivation to get rid of it, that's more aversion. And that just compounds the suffering. So the first thing, the second thing to do upon recognizing a defilement in the mind is to relax. And when I say relax, I mean acknowledge this is the way it is for me, for now. Acknowledge it. I say accept it. I don't mean take it in and agree with it, but I mean just acknowledge this is the way it is. Because we also have this habit of denial. When we see or when it's pointed out that we're angry or you're jealous or you're fearful, we say, no, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm not. Even when we see it ourselves in practice, the, tendence, the, the tendency is to deny what we see. It is perfectly natural to become sleepy, Utejaniya says. If you feel bad about sleepiness, it means that you have aversion towards it and you'll try to resist it. That is a wrong attitude. Simply recognize and accept sleepiness. As long as you observe it with the right attitude, you're meditating correctly. He didn't say anything about get rid of it. He said acknowledge it. Be aware of it. Observe it. That's the way to treat the defilements. It's also important to understand and to remember that this defilement has arisen due to causes and conditions. And if we can identify those causes and conditions and remove them, avoid them, minimize them, the defilement will have less of a chance of getting a toehold in the mind. So we have the information about the defilements, their danger. We learn to recognize them. We learn to acknowledge them, to relax. Now we have to use some intelligence because they have arisen. We recognize it. They've arisen. We can't get rid of it. We just we see it's happening. The next step, the third step in working with the any of the defilements is to exercise restraint. Now we can exercise restraint in not acting them out. 
You don't write that note, you know, about your irritation with the person who walked in the hall late, stomped in, opened the window, turned on the fan, turned out the lights, whatever, you know. You don't write that note saying, Metta. <laughs> That's not restraint. You just keep it in your own mind. You stew with your, inside your own mind. If you can keep it in your own mind, better. But we do have to exercise some restraint. And one way to do that, when it gets so intense that it's just ready to come out, we can exercise some restraint by something as simple as open your eyes. Sometimes in the privacy of your own mind with your eyes closed, you can be living in a hell realm. And if you open your eyes and just know, oh, seeing, hearing, oh, here I am, it disappears just like that. So this is a technique for cutting the overwhelming defilement. Pay attention to a present moment sense object. Seeing, hearing, sensations in the body, or any other present moment experience. Takes you right out of the, the uh, defiled state of mind. Another uh, way of exercising restraint is to do some reflection. When you're inflamed with any form of aversion, metta is the antidote. Start practicing metta for yourself, if not for the other. When you're feeling you know, like you're really judging and blaming other people, practice forgiveness. If you're feeling very doubtful and just really paralyzed by doubt and you just don't know what to do, Reflect on that which inspires you to practice the Dharma. So these are other techniques, reflective techniques for dealing with overwhelming defilements. The Buddha's first injunction, the first instruction, first antidote for a defiled state of mind or any situation that is likely to provoke a defiled state of mind is to avoid it. Just don't go there. You know. We know more than we want, sometimes want to admit. That we walk into places, behaviors, meet people that we know is not going to call forth the best within us. We have no one to blame for the predictable result. So the Buddha said, avoid. If you know that this place, this person, this behavior is going to provoke a defiled state of mind in reaction, avoid it. If you can't avoid it, minimize the amount of time that you have to spend there. And while you're there, be very mindful. So we exercise some restraint. The fourth step in working with the, any of the defilements is to reframe your understanding or your misunderstanding. Often, when we're caught in a defiled state of mind, frustration, disappointment, restlessness, whatever it is, we think, I've got to get rid of this so I can practice meditation. We do. We think. I've got to get rid of this somehow, and then I can meditate. 
That is a wrong understanding. Because this defiled state of mind is the very place to establish your mindfulness. And so we need to reframe our understanding from, I got to get rid of this, to here it is, an opportunity to develop awareness. What's her name? I can't remember. But you know the English woman that lived in the Hamayas in a cave for 12 years doing her practice? She says, in spiritual practice, there are no obstacles, only opportunities. Only opportunities. If you see whatever state of mind, whatever condition arises in your mind, in your practice, if you see it as an obstacle, wrong attitude. If you see it as an, as an opportunity, right attitude, because then there's a willingness to work with it. You don't have to get rid of it. You don't have to blame anybody for it. You don't have to do anything with it except be aware of it. Learn to understand it. So when we reframe our wrong understandings, we, we, we do it by remembering that these defilements are also part of the Dharma. They are not outside the Dharma. They are a lawful arising in the mind due to causes and conditions. It's not a mistake that any of the defilements arise. They're deeply conditioned. Be patient. Meaning, you know, the habits are strong. We, we can see them again and again and again. So be patient with the recurring appearance of familiar defilements. But because they're only a visitor to the mind, only a visitor, they don't own the place, they're not renting, they don't have a long-term lease, they're just a visitor. Be persistent. Be patient with their arising, but be persistent in your observation of them. The wandering mind is not the problem, Saida Utejaniya tries to tell us. He says, your attitude that it should not be wandering is the problem. The object isn't really that important, but how you observe or view it is. The wandering mind, that's not the problem. Your thought that it shouldn't be wandering, that's the problem. Yogis make the mistake of expecting good experience rather than trying to work with the defilements. Who, me? Did anybody come here expecting good experiences? (laughs) Hoping for it? Thoughts are just thoughts. Feelings are just feelings. Try to recognize that defilements are simply defilements, that they are not your defilements. Every time you identify yourself with them or reject them, you're only increasing the strength of them, Utejaniya says. To deny, to avoid, to blame only strengthens them. Okay, so we're working with the defilements by recognizing them, relaxing around them, exercising some restraint, and reframing our misunderstanding. Then we can actually pay attention. And the benefit of understanding the defilements is that they dissolve. And how do we do that? We practice wise attention 
to the arising of the defilement. I know this sounds kind of dicey. (laughs) But we can actually learn to observe a defiled state of mind. If we can recognize it and step back, just to step back, not to suppress, not to deny, not to avoid, but just to step back and say, oh, fear is being known. Sleepiness is being known. Jealousy is being known. Frustration is being known. Aggravation is being known. We're no longer enmeshed and entangled in it. We're actually stepping back and seeing it with awareness and a wise attention that doesn't get entangled in it. When we do that, what we see is, well, a certain feeling in the heart, a certain feeling in the mind. You know what fear feels like? (sighs) Different than anger, different than frustration, different than jealousy, different than desire, different than yearning, longing, self-pity. They all have their own flavor in the mind, and we can know that. They also all come with their own story. You know, these, these, these defilements don't just kind of appear like clouds in the sky. They appear with a full-blown narrative. You know, I'm angry because... I'm jealous because... I'm whatever. And so we get entangled in the story. Pulling back from the story, not denying the story, but just stepping back and saying, wow, this is the story of anger. This is the story of fear. This is the story of whatever your habit is. And when we do that, we see the story. We see or we observe the feeling in the mind. We can also track the unfolding of the mm, defilement by how it conditions sensations in the body. Now, when you feel tight, quivering, clenched, whatever, and you say, God, I'm really angry, the tightness, the quivering, the heat, the vibrating, that's not anger. It is physical manifestation conditioned by anger, which is a mental state. So be clear, tightness is not anger. It is a, it can be a physical experience that is conditioned by the mental state of anger. So when we're observing anger and its manifestations, in order to learn about the nature of this defilement, we will feel how this defilement feels in the mind. We'll notice and observe how this defilement conditions sensations in the body, and we'll also be aware of and noticing, tracking, what this defilement does to our thinking. Anybody have catastrophic thinking today? You know, sometimes we get, you know, we imagine the worst, and it's just catastrophic thinking. You know, it has no grounding in, well, very little grounding in reality. It is caused by fear. When fear arises in the mind, sometimes we don't see fear. We just believe the catastrophic thinking. Okay, if that's how 
the defilement presents itself to you, recognize the story. Some of you will be very skillful at just recognizing the feeling, the feeling in the heart, and you'll know what it is. Others of you, not so skillful at feeling the heart, but you recognize the story. And this story sounds like fear. This story sounds like anger. This story sounds like jealousy, whatever it is. And some of you will be adept at monitoring the physical sensations in the body and then noticing what mental state is conditioned, conditioning them. So don't expect to see all of these all the time. Any one of them is good enough to get a handle on it or to begin to observe the defiled state of mind and its effect on the mind and the body. This is what we mean when we say, observe the defilement. Observe it. Why do we observe it? In order to learn about it. Because it is wisdom that takes the defilement out of the mind. If we approach it with the wrong understanding, I got to get rid of this in order to meditate. Or, well, it's just like hanging on to it. It'll come back and haunt us again and again and again. A frequent reaction or response to working with the defilements is impatience. Okay, I got to be aware of this. I'm mindful of it. I'm watching it. Why isn't it gone yet? You know, it's hard to negotiate with the defilements. They don't negotiate very well. You know, they have their own. They have their own way. If we, if you find yourself getting into a negotiating dialogue with the defilements, you lose. <laughs> they win. You know, it's kind of like I'll watch you for five minutes. I'll watch you, hoping that you go away, or whatever it is. We have to really be willing, and this is an important attitudinal adjustment to make in the mind. Are you willing to experience this? It is a normal, natural human experience. Every one of us, every human being that ever lived, has felt this. There's nothing wrong with it, except it causes suffering. It's not a mistake that it has arisen. Are you willing to experience this? Just ask yourself that. Because sometimes, without asking that question, we just, we, we just resist, we resist, we deflect, we deny, we avoid, we minimize, we, we scatter, we blame. We do all kinds of things. Anything except, well, feel it. So ask yourself, am I willing to really feel this? And if you can find the courage, or you feel uh, emboldened, it is only a learning opportunity. And what is it that we learn? What, what is it that we're going to learn about these defilements? Let me just go back to how to observe, how to investigate these defilements. I talked about one way of investigating the defilements, paying attention to the sensations in the body, observing the feeling in the, in the, in the heart and mind, 
uh, and, and noticing the story, the narrative. Hmm? Sometimes you will notice that the defilement occurs again and again. It might go away for a while and then it comes back again. Same story, same, same narrative. It comes back again, you observe it a while, it passes away, it comes back again, again, again. Generally, when a defiled state of mind recurs like that with the same story, the same intensity, generally our understanding is there's something about that feeling, something about that state of mind that has not yet been observed, not yet been seen. So the kind of investigation that I just talked about where you observe the sensations, the thoughts, and the feeling in the mind may not work because you're so familiar with them. You're so, we know the story. We know the feeling. We know the sensations in the body. And they're still coming. Remind yourself. Something about this situation has not yet been recognized. Not yet been observed. Another way of investigating this kind of experience is to say, okay, I know the feeling. I know it. I know the story. Got that down. I know what it feels like in the body. Right? Okay. And then say, or remind yourself, what else is it going on here? Or what has not yet been recognized in this situation? It's a way of emptying the mind. You're not pushing it away. You're just saying, okay, everything I know about this, I'm just going to set aside over here. And then make space in the mind for whatever's left to be recognized. It's as if, you know, I said, okay, we're all sitting in the room here, right? We're all sitting in the room. What do you know about the room? Well, I know that there's lights on, I know there's a floor, there's bells, there's this, that, there's windows, there's heaters, there's chairs, there's people. Da, da, da. Yeah, what else? Well, I know that there's fans and I know that it's, it's kind of hot. And I know, yeah, and what else? It might take a while before someone says, oh, I, I, I recognize the shape of the room. It isn't until we stop focusing on what we already know before we can see what we don't yet know. This is a, a, another kind, another way of investigating these defiled states of mind. What is it that we don't know about this yet? Of course, if you go looking for it, well, you're not going to find it. But if you make space in your mind for it to appear, you may recognize it. Do not try to avoid objects or experiences, Sayadaw says. Instead, try to avoid getting entangled in the defilements in relation to them. Stuff happens. Let it happen. Most of it is outside of our immediate control anyway. What we need to pay attention to and watch for is not having a defiled relationship to it a relationship of aversion, a relationship of desire, or a relationship of confusion. When we're able to establish wise attention, observing the nature of the defilement, or well, this is the nature of 
jealousy. This is the nature of fear. This is the nature of frustration. This is the nature of anticipation, expectation, disappointment. When we're able to observe the nature of any defilement and sustain the attention on it, we will gain an invaluable piece of knowledge. This state of mind doesn't last very long. Today, you had some turmoil in the mind somewhere. Restlessness, anxiety, frustration, disappointment, panic. Where is it now? Gone. Did you see it go? If we can steady our attention, willingly be there to feel this state of mind and observe its nature as it appears in the body, in the mind, in the heart, and sustain our attention there, we will see it come to an end. It will dissolve by itself. We don't have to try to get rid of it. It will leave on its own. But this knowledge is invaluable because it shows you that this is really nothing to get too exercised about. It's going to leave. If you don't get entangled in it, it won't stay. This insight into and recognizing the impermanence of this phenomena is invaluable. You cannot buy this experience. You cannot buy this understanding. You can read it in a book, and the Buddha talks about it, every Dharma teacher talks about it, but it's not your experience until you see it for yourself. And when you see it for yourself, it'll give you a tremendous amount of faith and confidence. And then, with that faith and confidence, you're willing to take on any defilement. It's like it's a joy. It's like, bring it on, show me. You know, I, I, I'm willing to learn about anything. I remember this time in my practice. I, I would do just, well, I would try anything to provoke anger. Say, <laughs> you know, the Buddha allowed uh, monks to undertake some very uh, ascetic disciplines, you know, where they just, you know, when, in, in some ways it's to temper and to strengthen the equanimity of mind. One of them is don't lay down, ever. Not just at night, don't lay down. <laughs> Sit up all night, every night. Yeah, you give up your attachment to comfort pretty quick. And there's all kinds of defilements that are going to come out and, and scream at you when you try to do that. Oh, no, don't this, you're going to hurt yourself and you know, fear of you know, damaging your body and da-da-da. Well, when you, when you feel strong, really willing to take on any defilements, try it. <laughs> okay, okay, don't try that one. Just try only sleeping four hours. That, that's enough to provoke some reaction. Because if we don't know that there's still the potential to react with a defilement in our mind, the potential just lays there like a time bomb, like a, one of those landmines. It's just waiting for you to step on it. So we want to really look. And the Buddha said the first noble truth, the truth of suffering, the truth of dukkha, is to be investigated. We need to look at our life and see where these little mind bombs are planted so that we can see them and de defuse them with the knowledge of impermanence.
This is the practice of Vipassana. It's not just calming the mind down. It's understanding how suffering happens. This is the value of practicing Vipassana. Remember, Saito Tejaniya says, it is not you who removes the defilements. Wisdom does that job. When you are continuously aware, wisdom unfolds naturally. Just sit quietly and let the words settle down. In order to understand defilements, you have to watch them again and again. What can you gain from just having or expecting good experiences? If you understand the nature of the defilements, they will dissolve. Once you're able to handle defilements, good experiences will naturally follow. Most yogis make the mistake of expecting good experiences instead of being willing to work with the defilements. Thank you for listening to the Dhamma. There's time for walking practice and then we'll have uh, the last sitting, group sitting of the evening where we'll chant the, the sharing of the blessings and have another bedtime story. <laughs>